Oh, we've learned uh, early this morning that Malcolm Honline is in Israel. Our uh, weekly update is enhanced. As, as great as it always is, it's even further enhanced when he's reporting to us from the Holy Land. So we have this opportunity, Baruch Hashem, this morning. Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays at this time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Always great to be here, but especially as I look out over the old city of Yerushalayim and bask in the beautiful weather here in Jerusalem. It's a little wet in between, but it's still beautiful. Hey, it's rainy season, and you know the rule. We can't complain when it rains in Israel, that's for sure. Uh, it's Gishmei Bracha. It is uh, a big blessing, and it's always it's always hard to discipline ourselves when we get to Israel, and it is raining, uh, not to complain. Um, well, uh, you're there uh, You're there this afternoon, Friday afternoon, almost exactly one week ago, Friday night last week. Our brothers and sisters suffered in a terrible terror attack in Neve Yaakov. Um, I, I am getting somewhat tired of hearing the expression that the terrorist acted alone when the incitement, the education, the atmosphere created by those around him since birth, most likely, you'd have to agree, contribute to him eventually trying and successfully murdering Jews. What could you tell us about last Friday night's attack? Well, first of all, I think you're raising a very fundamental point that people have to be reminded about, that these incidents are just not occurring, that you can have somebody <coughs> who's mentally imbalanced, you can have people who are radical, and but they're radicalized somewhere. And there's somewhere that th- it tells them that the way you give vent is to go with a, a AK-47 and just shoot innocent people or engage in an attack outside a shul. And we know that th- this is not just haphazard. There are state sponsors of this anti-Semitism, including Qatar and the more revelations to come out about how far Qatar invests in the United States, let alone there, in in incitement and supporting Muslim Brotherhood-affiliated groups and um, the PA as well, involved in in funding and and stimulating uh, uh, anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish, not just anti-Israel sentiment. And then you have the the media and the uh, rewards that they get from the pay to slay program, which if people don't know, they should be ashamed by now, but the Taylor Force Act in the United States addresses it. We have laws here in Israel addressing it, where they were uh, against the, the PA practice of paying the murderers or their families. Uh, and as you know, in a recent case, the police raided after, in the aftermath of the attack Friday night, um, raided the home of one of the terrorists. They found 100, over $100,000 in cash in just one house, money that the PA paid them. And by the way, yesterday I went to Sharad Zedek to visit the uh, very heroic young guy who in the city of David, you know, uh, was they came under attack by the 13-year-old. And just think about a 13-year-old who... who has an automatic weapon. Two of them actually gave one to his uncle and and then started being with a, a rifle. And then the parents praise and and give out candies and extol them. And we saw the family of the this young twenty year old soldier who was just with his family in the city of David, walking around on Shabbat, and is in very very serious condition. Uh, the the bullet itself didn't do, but some body reaction to it 
uh, has put him in a very, very harsh matzav condition, and people should should think of him in their tefillos. But but you see the parents, and and they weren't angry, they weren't bitter. They they greeted us, you know, and comforting us, and we came there to to show them support. And the 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 contrast is so obvious. And and lastly, one point which I think you probably would raise anyway, because you're, you've always been sensitive to this, and that is the way the media in America has covered it, and right away saying the most right wing government, and as if that is to blame, yep. and in and the most left wing governments didn't have the same thing, <laughs> and as if they care who sits in the governments uh, of Israel, and that the you know uh, reports that I heard on CBS, which was particularly upsetting because NPR did it too, but we're used to it. You know, nine people killed in nine Palestinians killed in Janine. Not one word that they were terrorists. There was one woman who who may have been caught in a crossfire, but everybody else, these were terrorists. These were people who were about to carry out a massive attack. Bombs found there. Not a reference to it. And now saying it, this is somehow this is a justification when an army uh, 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 acting under appropriate circumstances prevents massive deaths by going in and, and eliminating the terrorists. Uh, is comparable to somebody who goes outside a synagogue on a Friday night and opens fire. I have to say that the administration and congressional leaders, others were were quick to respond that people condemned it. But it's it's it, there's got to be some accounting when the media can can talk this way when uh, the PA just issued celebratory statements about it, and when people are engaging and giving out candy and celebrating the bloodshed and somehow extolling it. That's what causes this and that and makes the next generation believe that this is the way that you get notoriety, you get recognition, you get the infection, you get the attention. And they they put an idea, an extremist ideological religious founding foundation to this. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why it's such an outrage when they say acted alone because of what I mentioned earlier. By the way, an opportunity to uh, because you mentioned the terror attack in Ir David, one of our listeners reminded us to. Pray for Nadav Chaim Ben Irit Chaya. That's Nadav Chaim Ben Irit Chaya. Um, in addition to the point that you uh, made, or as as you indicated, reiterated regarding the media, what do you think of a place like Neve Yaakov being referred to as East Jerusalem in the media? You know what? And, and and the constant reference to occupied East Jerusalem. Right. It's not just East Jerusalem. Right. Uh, and BBC in particular was egregious in this regard, but not exclusively so, because others uh, use similar language or or references, which and I mean it's complete distortion of of the historical realities. But it it all is meant to create an atmosphere that excuses uh, the attacks. It's not because they're putting in context or because people will know better where the location of Neve Yaakov was. Uh, you know, that's not the, the thing that is of concern to, to the people we're talking about. And this is, um, you know, it's part of the, the ideological campaign to delegitimize Israel, to deny Israel's sovereignty in Jerusalem, yeah. and to, to justify the killings. Yeah, a divided Jerusalem at the minimum uh, is uh, all that they are, are satisfied with. By the way, on the demolition issue, uh, Israel facing criticism, and again, because it's a right-wing government, etc., you know, the, the criticism is even sharper. Uh, one of the young people in this audience 
uh, was concerned about how much criticism Israel was getting uh, with the demolition policy that was enacted uh, this week after the terror attack on Friday night. And I had to remind them, or at least inform them, that you know we've been we you know that we we've been around the block before with this whole type of episode. Of course, Israel is going to be criticized for the demolitions. I'm assuming that worldwide reaction and really nothing else is going to deter Israel from keeping this policy in place. Am I right? It's effective. It's a deterrent. And therefore, it is justified. It is not an inhumane policy as, as they try to present it. It's a most humane policy. But if you don't, and, and we know that this has a, a deterrent impact just as the rewards the families get from, uh, from, the, from their kids being involved, either dying in or you know, being involved in the killing of Jews, and the more they kill, the more they get, that that is an incentive to do it, this is a disincentive. And I think that Israel is, uh, is one of the few tools that Israel has uh, to, to respond to these things and to move quickly and make it a, a better complete uh, immediately. Uh, from the other angle of, you know, practically speaking, he acted alone. Again, you know, as I said earlier, from in a bigger picture scenario, we don't look at it as he acted alone. But let's say practically speaking, he acted alone. Does that mean that Israeli intelligence had no shot at stopping this guy? Not a criticism, just wondering if there was even a clue or anything they said in the aftermath where they were, uh, uh, where they, you know, said to themselves, oh my gosh, you know, we were, we were sort of alerted to this and just didn't realize what was going on. Has there been any discussion about advance notice about Friday night's attack? No, there was, as far as I know, and I've met with uh, some people, uh, officials involved, nobody has uh, spoken about any advance indication that this attack was imminent. And that's the fear, of course, that uh, certain people have. And this is the fear that the terrorists want to, you know, instill in us and in these citizens and residents of Israel uh, that, you know, any at any random time, um, having convinced any random guy uh, that someone can go on a shooting spree. And uh, you always, you know, emphasize rightfully how effective Israeli um, intelligence is, military, police, etc. And we, of course, thank God for that. And they're extremely strong in that area. But the reality is, as you pointed out before, you're not going to stop everything. Simple as that. You're not going to. And, and you, you realize how many people are involved, how many events are prevented. There, there were thousands of events last year, thousands of, of potential attacks and attacks and events. You know how we know? Because the PA published it. They published a list of numbers, everything about it. And, uh, and of course, the Israeli officials concur and have put out similar uh, statistics. But they, they take great pride in it. So it's not a, a secret about what they're doing. And the world yet is rushes to, to condemn Israel and, and uh, you know, is focused on internal issues here in Israel when the international challenges abound. Yeah. No question about it. All right, we got to get to the uh, Blinken visit, and of course the uh, the Iran attack. Uh, but if I don't if I don't ask you about this story, my listeners are going to go nuts because it seems to be the thing that everyone is talking about, and they need your opinion. Is the House Foreign Affairs Committee a better committee without Elon Omar? Certainly, and and I think the whole effort to try and recategorize it as a tit for tat or anything. To, to, to take away the attention 
and just say that it's because she was critical of Israel. She wasn't critical of Israel. She wasn't a useful member of the committee. She has said many extremely radical and, and uh, damaging things. And uh, I think removing her was entirely appropriate. It wasn't, and it was a vote of the full house. It wasn't just what McCarthy did as a Republican leader, which he could do removing people from the intelligence committee. This required a full vote. So it was a legitimate action. And the, you know, these things go along parties, partisan lines and party lines. We know that. Uh, but he got the 219 to 216. But it's it's not because Democrats have not been hypercritical of her, pointing out her outrageous comments, unacceptable comments. And, you know, it is pretty consistent. And to put her in uh, the position or at least putting on her notice and others that, you know, not everything goes and that there has to be some standard for members of Congress, and it should apply to others. And if they make racist comments or anti, you know, uh, other anti-Semitic stuff or whatever, that they will be held to account. I hear a lot of rustling. Oh, I don't hear anything. You're as clear as a bell on our end, so I hope that that's what the listeners are hearing, frankly. No, I think it's there on your end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, as long as you're the only one who hears it, then I'll, I'm willing to live with it. Uh, Malcolm Holmine in Israel, folks. Um, so I, I'd love to see Senate leadership, especially from this area, uh, you know, weigh, weigh in uh, with an agreement or with, uh, you know, a thumbs up to this move. But I guess that's unrealistic in this political atmosphere that we're in. Uh, but also there's a network out there and there's a narrative uh, of how racist a move this was to remove her, how uh, Islamophobic it was to remove her, how white supremacist it was to remove her. I mean, once all those things are brought into the argument, it's like it's, it's worthless to even discuss it at that point. You're absolutely, but but she framed it that way. She said, you know, I'm Somalian, I'm African, I'm a woman, and, and try to say that as if that was the problem. You know, there were so many charges against her about misappropriation of funds, funds hiring her brother, her relatives. I mean, all those things got shunted aside. And um, so that that's, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, you, you do everything you can. Obviously, I mean, every criminal says that they're innocent and, you know, we're going to be proven. We want to go to court because it's going to show us to be innocent, et cetera. And I think that that diverting it, I mean, nobody was saying Adam Schiff was fired because he was Jewish and white. I mean, and people didn't talk about, the, you know, Marjorie Green because she was white. And it's because of what she said in Elmar Taylor, um, uh, you know, and, and that's the, the, the problem is that you know, you, you, you diminish the seriousness of, of, of real racial animosities that, yeah. that pop up. And when somebody is an irresponsible person in a key position, then they can be held to account and they should stand for it. Justify what you say, take, take this thing, but don't then try to divert it onto right away saying that it was very, a racial issue. It right. was not. What do you think of the Blinken visit? And do you, do you feel it's appropriate when he and other American officials weigh in on the whole Israel judicial reform issue? I, I don't know. Is, 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 are they innocent comments, or would you prefer if they stayed out of Israeli politics? Is it a big deal? So I, I think if you blink, you miss Blinken's visit. It was a very quick <laughs> one. <laughs> that was a good I was waiting to use that. I like that. And, uh, yeah, I knew. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, I think overall the visit was good that he had a good meeting with the prime minister. Um, they, they focused a lot on the Iran issues and the common 
um, interest. If I can just divert for one sure. minute. Yeah. Do you know what Operation Juniper Oak is? Well, you 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 gave me and everybody an education about it last I, I, week. I, I, right. But do you, I'm, I'm, do, if you were a common person, I've asked a lot of people here in Israel, by right. the way, and they couldn't identify. Right. The cooperation between the U.S. and – yeah. And Israel, but but that six thousand American troops, right. one hundred and twenty aircraft, twelve. And I and I detailed it last week because the American media no coverage. Right. And you ask people about it, nothing. The biggest exercise in history between the United States and Israel. Direct message: B fifty two bombers flown from the United States. I mean, swarming the the, the region, and not a mention about a positive. But when they can come down and start talking about domestic issues in Israel. And talk about the loss of democracy. Do you know that that the new so study true. comes? The annual study came out that ranks countries in, as democratic states, and Israel went down a couple notches. Of course, the headline: Israel slips into so it went down from twenty six to twenty nine, but it's ahead of the United States. So are we going to start examining all the things wrong with the United States and all the quote the things that would bring it down from a, as a democratic state in the rankings of countries? So the the you know this hypercritical approach. Uh, look, I think, and I wish that some of the ministers wouldn't talk so much. I think that the, that much of the problem is that the statements are more provocative than the actions, and that the the there are legitimate cases to be made. I think if they had made the case first, instead of now, everybody's playing catch up trying to explain why the judicial reform was necessary, for instance. But it was post. It was uh, it was played as such an extremist move, as if they're canceling the Supreme Court, as if the Supreme Court, you know, was an innocent party. When in fact, judicial excesses has been something that party people on all sides have complained about and talked about. So, the 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 uh, you know now there was an article in the uh, editor in the Washington Post, the article in. Uh, in Newsweek and others saying, hey, wait, there's there's a reason for this. There's real issues here. And that everybody admits that this court was a very activist court and went beyond the uh, mandate that many people interpreted the responsibility of the of the um, of the Supreme Court. But, you know, they I, so I think that the secretary's reference to it was fairly mild. I mean, more people right. were concerned about his two state references. Right, right. Um, but, you know, he went to Ramallah and he supposedly gave them a strong message. He was in Cairo and they said the issues of the Palestinians, you know, were the dominant issues there when Egypt is on the verge of economic collapse. And there should be a lot of other issues, including how we aid them and how we provide assistance to make sure that there isn't a collapse and God forbid a coming back of the Muslim Brotherhood. Hey, when you talk to the Israeli officials that you meet this week, you should tell them to stop talking. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web, and AlchemSiegel.com on the AlchemSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations in Jerusalem on this Friday morning, or for him, Friday afternoon on this uh, Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM. So... Israel launched a drone attack at an Iranian facility. And it's, it's funny, and I don't want to make this about the New York Times, but it is funny that they write, while the target's purpose is unclear, which I thought was hilarious because in the next moment they write, the city of Isfahan is a major center of Iranian missile production, research, 
and development. What could you tell us about Israel's attack on the Iranian facility? It was uh, exceptional. They used these quadrocopters, which are little drones, you know, with four, and you often see children playing with, with four, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, propellers, blades running, uh, propellers running, and the, uh, which carry a, a payload, but very targeted, hit this exact spot. There were fires also reported in Tehran and Karaj and other places. But this particular place on a munitions factory, a development site right near their space center, and uh, was very clearly uh, a successful uh, target and message. And then they threatened that they were going to shoot missiles at Israel from the Houthis from, by, from Yemen or from Iraq. Uh, I think Israel also attacked a convoy coming from across all of Iraq to the Syrian border to deliver sophisticated weapons. Uh, and uh, munitions to the the, the uh, Iranian-backed, not only Hezbollah, but the militias, which are growing in influence and, and expanding their uh, presence. And in fact, to the point where there was clashes between uh, Druze, uh, armed clashes between Druze and these Iranian-backed groups, because they're trying to establish themselves in southwest Syria. And the word is that Iran is trying to build a master base there, meaning a base where all their units would come together which will be very easy then for Israel if they do that. But the, um, <laughs> uh, they're not doing it for that purpose. Yeah, I would uh, but, they, you know, so, but, but they knew that truck number eight in the convoy, and I'm, this is serious, was the one with the weapons and was taken out. Wow. And, the, and the, that uh, you know, Iran is constantly trying to find ways to ship either through by sea, by air, by truck, across the land, across different borders, Get stuff to to the to Hezbollah with more munitions, uh, you know, guidance and systems, uh, more sophisticated equipment, and Israel has to act every day as the as the guardian and and patrol and and look for it and find it. And the fact that they do is again so amazing, and people take it for granted because Israel has done such a good job. There's no country in the world that has prevented the kind of constant efforts to intervene and to for, you know, to smuggle stuff across uh, the borders by by a state, not by, uh, you know, criminal groups uh, who have sophisticated means to do it. Is there... So the, I think what Israel did, but just I want to say yeah, that yeah. what Israel did was very important message to the Iranian people and to the region and coming after Juniper Oak, which sent, which was specifically designed to send a message to Iran when U.S. and Israeli warplanes struck common targets and did these bombing runs um, to show that they were, um, you know, symbolic of attacks on uh, on Iranian targets, and that a message was that maybe we can't, each of us can't do everything alone, but together we can do everything. Well, I think it was, and, a, I think together, I, hopefully with allies in the region. I think it was a message to Washington also that you know we're we're gonna end, we're gonna end up saving the free world if you if you just let us do it. You know, we'll end up taking care of all this. Uh, all this stuff for you is the Iranian operation too overwhelming that that's the concern, you know, for, for average citizens like me. In other words, it's, if it's air, land and sea and all these options that Iran is trying to sneak and deliver uh, all these weapons, um, is it, is it possible for Israel as an example to keep track and literally get every one of these convoys, every one of these trucks, every one of these planes, every one of these shipments? No, it is not possible to get every one. But it is possible to get a significant number. Um, I, I don't know a percentage 
that the Israelis estimate of what gets through and what doesn't get through, but it is a significant percentage because it's just impossible to to be able to strike and to uh, know every means that they they can use. But the, the you know remember that Iran is doing this at a time when its economy is in total collapse yep. and it's continuing its nuclear program and expanding all its weapons programs. The real is now four hundred and forty seven thousand to the dollar. A few years ago, when I started talking about it with you, it was forty nine thousand to the dollar after being six or seven thousand to the dollar, four hundred and forty seven thousand to the dollar. And if it weren't for the trade with Russia and if it weren't for the illicit oil sales, they, their economy would be in total standstill. And the people of Iran are still willing to take these hardships on if they could get rid of the regime. And, and although the newspapers don't report it, the demonstrations continue, the opposition continues. It went on for many months. And as you know, it's led to tens of thousands of arrests and executions yep. and many Iranians leaving the country, doctors leaving the country, even politicians. 6,000, I think, applied for Venezuelan citizenship. And there are about 3,000 who have relatives here in the United States, leaders in Iran, who have relatives here and who want to use it as a means, you know, that if uh, things start going worse and a uh, collapse would be imminent, they would come here. Well, speaking, so we should and do he, things right now to pre- prevent it from co- them coming to the United States. Yeah, I was going to say, here means the U.S. I don't want people to think they're heading to Jerusalem. You meant the U.S. Um so what do you make of this story that we heard overnight that um, as border officials, we know how lackadaisical the border situation is, not blaming the, the border uh, patrols, but we, we know, you know what's going on there on the southern border of the U.S. As they're, as they're opening up trunks and opening up trucks, they're discovering people who are residents of Tehran who are now coming into the United States and being snuck in. And, and some of them are on terrorist watch lists. Is this, is this literally just people from another city or another country trying to get in, you know, for asylum purposes? Or should we be concerned that, the, that literally, you know, the front lines of the terror war is coming in through our southern border? So, Nachma, I've raised this issue over the years because this is not new news. You know, when all these people coming from Venezuela, for instance, Venezuela is today controlled largely by Iran. These are people who have been indoctrinated with the uh, attitudes by Iran, even if they're not Iranian agents directly. But many people are being smuggled in from, and, and we've heard these reports for eight or nine years, that uh, um, uh, Arabs, people had, uh, they found uh, military uniforms, Arab military uniforms in the deserts. They found uh, copies of the Quran that people changed their names. There were thousands previously in a, every week changing their names from Iranian names to Hispanic names and trying to do it legally in the courts there. So this is not a new aspect. Tens of thousands of people have come into our country uh, who are suspect and certainly many who are being organized because they don't have to invade from and threaten the United States from 8,000 miles. They can smuggle people in who become a fifth column in the United States. Yep. And I don't even know why I'm making such a big deal about those who are from Tehran. As you just said, they could be from uh, you know, c- countries on this side of the world and, and have these same intentions that those uh, who they suspect are on the terror list from Tehran are doing or want to do. Um, it's, a sc- it's a scary situation. It's a scary situation. Uh, finally, Malcolm, the, um, the Sudan peace deal 
and the Chad Embassy in Israel. Are, are these left, and I'm not saying this in a derogatory manner, I, I, don't, I don't hesitate to give credit to the current administration or to the, you know, the, those who are running the U.S. and Israel at this point, but I'm just wondering, are, are these leftovers from the Abraham Accords that just had to formally be introduced, or are these significant in terms of 2023 developments? So the, the Sudan was part of the Abraham Accords, and they were supposed to sign us. You know, they backed off at the last minute. And now we're talking about, uh, hopefully in the next few days, another visitor from Sudan will come, and they will talk about establishing full diplomatic relations. Um, there are conditions on it. Sudan is a complicated uh, country. Uh, but I, I think that there's been real progress. I have talked to Sudanese officials, and I think that there is – uh, a real interest, but, you know, they have domestically always very difficult situations, politically, militarily, and socially. Uh, Chad is something that Israel has worked on for some time, and I think Prime Minister Netanyahu, in his last cadence as Prime Minister, uh, got involved with it, and they were pushing it. But he, um, and it could be the first of a number of Muslim-majority countries in Africa that will formally recognize Israel in addition to those that already have diplomatic relations. Yeah, really cool. Unbelievable. That, that, that whole development on that side of the uh, Israel relationship with Arab countries or with African countries is simply remarkable. By the way, I have to, I mean, look, you, you, we always say we don't discuss local issues generally here, but I, I'm, th- I'm sure even you would agree this isn't, isn't really a local issue. Any reaction to what happened here in New Jersey, the Molotov cocktail? at the synagogue in Bloomfield, New Jersey? Of course, it's very disturbing that somebody would go in the middle of the night and throw a Molotov cocktail. What is very positive is that the synagogue took precautions beforehand. So they put shadowproof glass, a reminder to everyone, don't wait to do it after the attack or after something happens to take the precautions before. But more than that, there isn't a single day when we don't hear of some uh, Jew act of Jew hatred Something, whether it's on a campus, whether it's in a community, whether it's in uh, with statements that are being made. Uh, uh, Somebody sent me a picture. I I assume it's real because it's a reliable source showing uh, an armband with a swastika at the funeral um, this week in Memphis. Again, I don't know. I haven't verified it, but we are getting reports and we see that Bella Haddad, who continues to make the most vicious anti-Semitic comments together with her family at the Israel comments uh, is, is on a billboard in LA and hired by LVMH to represent them. There are a lot of Jews who buy LVMH products. Tell them what you think of it. Tell them that's going to stop it, that you wouldn't hire uh, a racist to, to be a thing. Why take somebody who has demonstrated Jew hatred and anti-Israel attitudes to be the, the spokesmodel or whatever they call it for, for the front face for the, uh, these products. Uh, and, and it's more we have to be, we have to hold people to account. We have to be speaking up. We have to be declaring things for what they are. Yeah. We, we've been too shy and too reticent. I see even Morningstar continues to be a problem and others issues still remain on, on the table. So we have to be very adamant and careful and, and assertive. And when, especially on the campus-related things, to make sure the kids are safe and most of all that the universities understand their responsibility and that they will be able to account for what they do or don't do in compliance with the IRA definition. And everybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about should be ashamed and go and look up the International Holocaust Remembrance Association definition and make sure that every school, every university, everybody adopts it. So we have a way to define it and to fight it. Excellent. Malcolm, enjoy Jerusalem and have a wonderful Shabbos. 
You too. Be well, everybody. Be safe. Malcolm Honline, Vice Chairman, Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, always extra special when he reports to us from Yerushalayim on a Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM.